0: Welcome to the We Serve podcast of Government Policy, Real Estate and You. I'm Liz Reckia, Government Affairs Director for We Serve Realtors, a local association of realtors and real estate industry businesses serving West Maricopa County, Southeast Maricopa County, Pinal, Cochise, and Santa Cruz in Arizona. And this is your quick update for today. It's been a busy April with lots of things going on. The Government Affairs City Liaison Teams have begun to meet with cities to present the We Serve Housing Study and to bring city and market-specific data and information to decision-makers. In April, we met with Apache Junction and Chandler. Our members provided context and market information in addition to the data. Cities and towns are interested in knowing what our members experience in residential, commercial, and agricultural real estate and members who join me in these conversations provide the impetus for necessary conversations. In a world in which decision makers are presented with numerous housing solution checklists and terminologies confused, conversations on the true web of housing product and financing available for individuals, investors, and developers is a welcome perspective. Across the We Serve territory, entry-level housing is missing or less available than the wage-earning population needs. We Serve identified entry-level as wage earners making between $45,000 a year gross to $95,000 a year gross. Net income is the important criteria when determining long-term suitability of housing. At this wage range, net income would be between $43,000 and $80,000 a year. 25% to 30% of net income spent on housing costs is a sustainable level of monthly budget so that no matter the oopsies of life, the tenant or buyer has a better chance of maintaining their home. At some point, the housing prices peak and start falling and rents begin to come down because if the buyer or tenant doesn't have the income to sustain the monthly payment, they can't or won't buy or rent. We saw two very dramatic examples of that in May of 2022 and again in November of 2022. Across our territory, municipalities want and need more housing, but they seem inclined to think the housing needs to be the large builder's product of the moment. In most areas, that means single family detached rental only complexes, tall vertical multifamily complexes, sometimes with several tall buildings or larger, more extravagantly enhanced single-family homes, all priced outside the entry-level wage earners' 25% to 30% of net income reality. But there are other options to help answer the housing needs. ADUs, accessory dwelling units, that are fully functional with full-size bathrooms and fully functioning kitchens, smaller lots with smaller houses, larger lots of an acre plus with smaller modular homes that can be expanded over time, and with the ability for the property owner to provide some of their own food needs. Condos, non-HOA communities, townhouses, twin homes, short-term rentals, duplexes, triplexes, and many other housing product types to be considered. Individuals, small, medium, and large builders all help with housing solutions. Entry-level housing may include smaller homes with carports rather than garages and finishes that are simple and easily maintained like vinyl flooring and laminate countertops. Financing changes at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. As the headlines at some media have been trumpeting the increases in upfront fees going into effect May 1st, it's sometimes difficult to figure out exactly what is happening. The changes were first described in the fall of 2022 and delayed until this upcoming May because of all the other fees and guideline changes last fall. Now the FHFA is bringing the DTI-based lending fees forward in May. I have a link to the framework document and the LLPA matrix in the podcast notes so you can review these changes for yourself. Depending on who the analyst is you listen to, the overall fees will still stay in the same relationship they had been, or if their perspective is on individuals, Fees for good credit borrowers with down payments of 15% or more are going up. Looking at the matrix, you will see fees related to credit and to down payment. You will need to compare the LLPA fees effective May 1st to those effective prior to May 1st. The ongoing theme is an increase in upfront fees with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac representatives stating those increases are necessary to help with their balance sheets. For several decades, the upfront fees have increased and been used for all sorts of costs, some of which are not related to lending at all, like disaster relief. In this most recent increase, the increased fees for borrowers with a 700 plus credit score and 15% or more down payment is rationalized as only another $40 a month over the life of the loan on a 30-year fixed loan. But we know an extra $40 a month can mean the difference between qualifying to purchase a house and not qualifying, particularly in areas with secondary property taxes, CFDs, and HOAs. What most people are reacting to is the lessening of fees for those with low credit scores and low down payments in the name of affordability. While most people's instant reaction is to the inherent unfairness of making someone who has saved and lived a restricted financial lifestyle pay for someone who has not is understandable, there are other concerns. First, the message being sent is in direct conflict with the ability to repay rules. Assuming someone who has saved or sold something in order to acquire a down payment that is large enough so that the house mortgage falls within the borrower's budget constraints and is a long-term affordable housing cost, is someone more privileged than someone who did not take on that personal financial discipline, is incorrect. During the 2007 to 2015 crash years, we watched as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac preferred certain classes of people over others for no other reason than their perception of privilege. Several times as a listing broker for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac houses, I would have to explain to an individual buyer why their offer for more money with a larger down payment was rejected while someone else with a smaller down payment who offered less than asking price, was awarded the house. Every time, the person who had saved for years, been priced out of the market, and finally had a chance to buy a house, but was rejected, was emotionally crushed, and several left the purchase market because the market was fixed against them. And they weren't wrong. Previous to the crash, in the 1990s, Congress and President Clinton worked to modify the Community Reinvestment Act requiring Fannie and Freddie to make 30% of their loans affordable housing loans. By the early 2000s, the quota was 50%, and HUD housing goals increased the number even more over the next few years of the new century. I remember when this policy was started in the mid-1990s. The first thing done was to count welfare and other government aid as income for loan qualification purposes. I was concerned because... This seemed to be taking advantage of those who had low or no income and saddling them with housing costs beyond their means. The evolution of this policy was an increase in loans to those with limited financial ability to reserve that payment. 135% loans were common in the early 2000s, and sure enough, when financial stress visited upon these at-risk borrowers, they lost their homes. It would seem the government is doing the same type of thing again. The reason the ability to repay and lending underwriting are so important from an individual point of view is to increase the likelihood a home buyer will be able to maintain their home in times of distress. Over leveraging them financially doesn't serve this purpose and quite frankly isn't very nice. On the other side of the fence, credit scores are not very good at predicting credit worthiness. They're a better predictor of the ability to manage debt by exchanging one debt type for another. For years, people who had no debt, saved money, and lived below their means paid increased cost to get a home loan. The great thing about going to a lender who manually underwrites, issues portfolio loans, and assesses their risk and the borrower's risk based on the effect of overburdening the borrower with all types of debts is having no credit score isn't viewed as a negative. The concept that common sense financial principles of saving for a down payment that makes the home loan truly affordable for the individual is wrongheaded and is quite astonishing. The important part for borrowers is to know and understand their own borrowing needs and then find a lender who can help them on their terms so that long-term home ownership is realized. That may mean shopping several lending choices. A quick reminder, the We Serve Housing Study may be found at www.weservegad.org. You can also find updates on city meetings, ordinances, and other resources. April 5th. Our April 5th Government Affairs Orientation Meeting was fun, and members discussed new home build problems and short-term rental ordinances. As a result, we now have two new task forces, a new home build task force, and a short-term rental ordinance task force. If you would like to be on one or both, please let me know. As a reminder, the next Government Affairs Orientation will be on June 7th at the We Serve Peoria office, 9.30 a.m. And the Government Affairs meeting will immediately follow at 10.30 a.m. As always, you may join one or both of these meetings in person or via Zoom. The registration page is on weserve.realtor, And a link is provided in the podcast notes. I'm Liz Reckia. Thanks for joining me today. I hope to see you in June at one of our meetings or at one of our task force meetings between now and then. We serve GAD, advocating for private property rights, the right to private contract, and your business.